With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. His name is William V. Taylor Jr., and he's just published a book on July 9th, 2021 which I completed just today. The title of that book is On Full Automatic, Surviving 13 Months in Vietnam. It's a very detailed book and very first-person account of his harrowing time in Vietnam in 1967 and 68. And it has 25-star, deservedly has 25-star reviews on Amazon right now, just within the last six weeks of publication. So I highly recommend this book, but Mr. Taylor can talk about it more in detail. So William Taylor, are you there? Hi, it's uh, it's really great being on your program, and I'm looking forward to like talking about my book and uh, let everybody know exactly uh, what it's about. Great. Well, I am too. So for people maybe not, this is your first book as far as I could tell. For people may not have known your background, can you talk about uh, what it took to write this book and go back to all those years? It's been 50 years almost since uh, those years of the late 60s and how what it was like to put this, your experiences on paper? You know, it, it started back in uh, 1986 when I started, um, you know, I, I went through the PTSD. I went through the Agent Orange stuff with uh, Bill Curtis. And uh, a guy called me out of the clear blue sky and uh, asked me if I was Bill Taylor. And I said, yeah. He said, uh, are you, uh, were you a Marine? And I go, yeah. And he said, were you with the 1st Battalion, 3rd Marines, Charlie Company? And I go, yeah, who is this? He said, my name is Joe Klein. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm writing an article with Rolling Stones magazine about uh, this guy that got killed in Hammond, Indiana. And he, he said, did you ever hear of Gary Cooper? And I go, yeah, he was one of the guys in, in my platoon. And he said, well, he was the one that was killed. And then he started asking me questions about the Vietnam War, and I just exploded. It was just like for the first time, someone really wants to know about the war. And I started telling him story. I overwhelmed him with stories of, you know, what happened. And uh, then he went and I gave him the names of a few other the guys that I knew. And he went and interviewed them and then interviewed more and more. He, he eventually ended up going to my entire platoon. And then he went to uh, headquarters Marine Corps and looked up the records and uh, he decided to write a book and it was called Payback, Five Marines After Vietnam. And I was one of those Marines. Uh, he takes us into one battle was Operation Cochise. And that's when I really discovered that, you know, this story needs to get out. 
And then I started over a period of time, you know, we went on a book tour over, we went to, uh, you know, New York City, we went through Times Square, uh, the bookstores, clubs and everything all over. We went on this great book tour and it was exciting. And I, I really wanted to write, once I started like getting the stories out of me, I really wanted to start writing them. So I, you know, I started writing stories and they were, you know, I'm a high school graduate and they were kind of crude. But I noticed that every time I finished a story, I would cry and, and try to get this out of me. And uh, so then I started writing more and more stories. And then I realized that I could put them in an order of when they happen. And then I realized that, you know, this is my 13 month tour in Vietnam. And I said, you know, this is actually going to be the making of a good book. And I started telling people I'm going to be writing this book. But I didn't really start getting into it until three and a half years ago. And uh, that's when I really decided to be really serious about putting this thing together. And of course, it was a big, huge emotional roller coaster. And I finished it about a year and a half ago, uh, the manuscript. And um, I was ready to actually publish it. And I talked to somebody that uh, the, this friend of mine, his name is Cody. He, he really helped me understand that the book needed some more work. So I ended up hiring uh, some editors and uh, boy, they were good. They were really good. And they helped with, you know, the tenses and getting the, you know, oh, this doesn't make a little, you know, you need to refine this. You need to do more show and uh, don't tell. That's, that was one of the things about the book that I realized is I had to actually show people what was going on. I couldn't just walk and said, there's some mountains. I had to actually say, what type of mountains and how were they lush? Were they green? Were, they, were there clouds over them? So I, that's what I started doing throughout the whole book was like, not only did I write the manuscript, but now I had to rewrite the book in such a way that people would feel what I felt. And that's what made the book what it is. I mean, I wrote a great book, but with the help of the editors and with Cody, I ended up creating this incredible book that everybody seems to say it really, I mean, I've had Marines that said that, that it helped them so much. Uh, I, there was one, this one lady, she, she called me out of the clear blue sky and she said, I want to thank you. And I said, for what? And she said, well, my dad read your book. He, met your, he read your manuscript. And he never talked about the war. He says, matter of fact, when he came back from Vietnam, he became a big drinker. And my mom couldn't take that. And she divorced him. And he moved off into the hills of Alabama. Well, I've never been able to have a relationship until he read your manuscript. And I've got to tell you, I've been waiting for 50 years, and now I have this relationship I never had before. And as a matter of fact, he asked me to take him to buy jeans. Well, that brought tears to my eyes because that's what this book was supposed to do, was to get people to understand of what the Vietnam vets went through. And also, you know, who's going to say what's going on, whatever happened in Vietnam? I mean, I, you just really don't see a lot of books about you know, the point of view of this grunt and what he had to do and what he went through and how he tried to survive because the battalion kept on getting wiped out over and over and over. And how I managed to survive is, you know, I finally came up with the conclusion 
that I think I was to survive to write this book, to tell the world about what it was like to, to be a Marine in Vietnam and uh, to go through what I went through. And I think that you're kind of also telling the story of people who didn't make it. There's so many names in the book of people who didn't make it out alive. And so you kind of, I think you're doing a duty to those lost soldiers or fallen soldiers too, who aren't around to tell what happened to them. So I credit you for that as well. And I think you're really right. The descriptive phrases that you have in the book about the heat, the, you know, really super thirst and kind of the environment of Vietnam really comes through very strong in my reading of your book. So kudos to you for that as well. But, uh, you and we talked about this in the pre-show. You were kind of the classic nineteen. You the the median age of people don't know of people fighting the Vietnam War was nineteen, and you were nineteen as well. I'm going to put up the picture on the back of you on YouTube so people can see that as well. But can you talk about how? And you start the book off with almost just kind of being put off a boat and sent into the uh, into combat. Can you talk about your uh, what was specific about your military unit? and what you kind of did starting off in Vietnam War in 1967. Sure, you know, um, so when I joined the Marines in 1966, um, I really wanted to uh, tell the, so I joined the Marines and I went to the recruiter, I went to all the recruiters, first of all, and then I ended up at the Marine recruiter and he had told me, I said, what about this, you know, Vietnam War that's going on right now? And he told me, he said, Oh, come on. He said, you know, this America is the greatest country in the world. I mean, this is just the police action. There's this thing's going to be over by the time you get out of boot camp. Well, <laughs> that was so far from the truth. That was a big sales pitch is all that was. And uh, what I did is I, I found myself going over on a jet and uh, ending up in a place called uh, Okinawa. It's an island. And it's uh it was a training ground for Marines to prepare them for Vietnam. And what they had done is uh, the Marines had brought this battalion over from Vietnam to, to refit it, to give it the brand new M16s. We were the first one to get the M16s. Uh, they wanted to train us in Mike boat training, into Amtrak training, into helicopter training, into night ambushes and, uh, you know, camouflage. I mean, everything that you can think of, we trained for, uh, it was over a month, month and a half. And we, when the captain came out, he said, so you're probably wondering why we're putting you through this training. And, it, and it's because you're going to be the special landing force, special landing force alpha, SLF is what we call it. And we're going to be the reactionary. We're going to, whenever there's a a battalion that runs or a company, whoever runs into help, we're going to fly in there and we're going to save the day. And of course, you know, wow, you know, we're going to be the special, the special landing force. And little did I know that, you know, we were up against regiments of NVA and, and VC. Uh, we were up against the toughest and uh, we went into the Quezon Valley and, uh, you know, the street without joy. I mean, we we were in the DMZ. I mean, the 1st Battalion, 9th Marines, the Walking Dead, uh, they were an entire company. 250 men was whittled down to like 35, 40 men. And 
the dead bodies were laying out there and the, the regiment was still out there and they called they, they called us in. They said, we need the SLF. And then they called in other battalions coming in from different directions. I think Lamsung 54 was going on and they called the, the Vietnamese army uh, to come in there. And we all merged into this one huge battle in the DMZ called Operation Buffalo. Um, we, you know, we were in um, uh, so many different situations where we were sweeping for the enemy or we'd be a blocking force for another battalion coming in and sweeping towards us. Uh, right, you called it the anvil and hammer, at least one of the operations. But yeah. that was a common word used throughout the book was sweep. It seemed like you guys were constantly moving. And the, just for people who don't know, your force was, what, 1,750 men, 68 officers, I think is what you said in the book. Right, right. And, you know, they, they were forward observers. I mean, they, they were talented men. Uh, the problem is, is that, you know, you had, we had, when I first joined it, we had the best platoon commander. We had the best uh, of everything. And uh, after Beaver Cage, we, we lost our executive officer. I mean, uh, we were losing men left and right. And, uh, and a helicopter assault, and it was, you know, we, we trained in Okinawa, but we didn't train in 105 degree heat with, you know, humidity factors through the roof. And, uh, you know, booby traps and mines and snakes. I mean, ambushed, being ambushed out of the clear blue sky. And, uh, and, and they set it up in such a way that you started realizing, I mean, the longer you were there and the longer you were able to survive, the more you learned how to survive. And uh, that's, uh, I think that's what got me through Vietnam is I had been there a long time and I, I had developed skills of being on full automatic. My body was on full automatic. Uh, you know, if someone fired at you, someone was shooting, you, you were down. You were down in, in safety as far as you could get. You could crawl as faster than a lizard. You just, you were trying to get out of the line of fire. So you just did everything you could to avoid being hit. So not only were your, was your body on full automatics, but so in order to gain fire superiority, you would fire your M16 on full automatic. And, you know, I really like the name of the book because that's, you know, if even when you came home from Vietnam, you made it back. If there was a backfire, you still hit the ground because your body was still on that full automatic. And, and I know a lot of guys that, uh, that I know who can relate to that. So, yeah. And I think that that's kind of an experience of a lot of not just Vietnamese, Vietnam veterans, but also Gulf War, Iraq is really just ramped up all the time. And I thought it was interesting in your book how <clears throat> the timing moved. Everybody's counting the months and days until 13 months happens. Such an important element in all of the soldiers' lives and how when you came in, the older, more seasoned soldiers look at you differently, and then you became that seasoned soldier. That's right. Then you became. But, you know, th that's exactly what would happen. And and so what I, I found my job is to try to train these guys as best I could and to communicate with them and get them to understand uh, what was happening out there and what they're going to be up against. Because, Man, when you when all of a sudden you the guy a few feet away from you sets off a bouncing Betty or something, you, I mean they're they're away from you because bouncing Betty would 
just kills everybody around you, or it kills the person that steps on it and then wounds everybody in a you know even close. And that's the that's the booby trap you step on and it shoots up in the air, right? It's like a mortar shell and it blows up. Uh, the higher up, you know, the more it spreads out and it hits your face. But if if it blows up around your chest, it blows your chest out. And of course, if it blows up near your feet, you know, we know what happens there. So, yeah, it's. Uh, it, I mean, we ran across it just over and over and over. It just uh, you go and through. How, how so long? Many, it, sorry, please continue. No, you go through so many people, so many officers. I mean, every platoon commander. Uh, I had was either wounded or killed. Every sergeant that I had was wounded and killed and or relieved of duty. Every squad leader, every platoon sergeant, it was, it was, it was nonstop. And then, you know, I became a squad leader. Uh, it's like, well, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to, to give any hand signals. I'm going to be one of the guys out here. You better listen up because, you know, I'm not going to give my who I am away because they, they really aimed for the guys that were given the orders. The VC. Yeah. Or Charlie, you call them Charlie. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's just so remarkable. They kind of just the feel of the book is like, you're just thrown out into these jungles to find, and you're kind of like hunter teams of uh, groups going out to find the enemy. Is that, does that, does that, does that seem that, culture? Sure. I, I even explain it like, uh, you know, we were like this big, big army going in there, and the Vietnamese were stealthy, black pajamas, and you know, just carrying just enough ammunition in their AK-47s. Uh, that I mean, they were stealthy, so you know, we had to adapt to to that, and we had to carry food for three days. We never had a hot meal flown to us in the field. Uh, it was always, you know, sea rations. That's what we ate for thirteen months. Um, yeah, it was, it was, a, it's a, it was definitely a, a journey of survival. As right. Well. And you were out there, you said in one operation, I think it was 25 total operations is what you define, but one, you were out in the jungle or there for a, an entire month. Right. So, I mean, right. that's, uh, oh no, a month and a half at times. Half, okay. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, and then we'd go aboard the ship. We'd refit with uh, three or four or five days and we're right back out doing another operation somewhere else. See, we went from operation, we'd sweep to a certain place, we'd get on trucks and we'd go to another operation, uh, we'd uh, sweep or we'd be a blocking force and then the helicopters would pick us up and take us to another operation. So in that time, we were we just never had time to uh, reflect, to look back and not, I mean, we couldn't get in trouble, uh, not unless we were aboard ship because... We were trying to say, all of us were trying to uh, make it through, make it through our tour. And I mean, it seemed like you didn't even get much r and I think you only got five days, at least it like, took nine months to get r and oh, That was amazing because, you know, you go from February and then, and then all the way to December before I got my first R&R. And then I go on an R&R and when I come back, the, my, my squad leader's dead. And maybe he was they a sweep up to the DMZ and he's dead and the machine gun crews were napalmed and you know you, they're gone and you got all these new people coming and poor guys they they came out of you know out of boot camp uh, through infantry training and then put right into the battlefield uh, some of them so unable to be able to be there 
they, we just ran into such a shortage of men. And, you know, we, we've got to say, you know, I was in the Marines and we went through hell, but it wasn't only the Marines. I mean, it was the Army. The Army came in uh, somewhere around November, uh, 101st Airborne, because the Marines, they, they just kept on getting wiped out. And it's not that they were not good. It's just that so many enemy were thrown at us over and over. And they just, uh, it was just, it just, it just kept on coming. Seems like that waves and waves of just yeah. much more, oh, you're outnumbered five, 10 yeah. to one, it seems like. And the, and the army got hit just as bad as us. I mean, they started getting their butts kicked too. I mean, when I say my butt kicked, I'm saying we always what killed more of them than, than we ended up killing. And of course, that's what it became, a war of numbers. How many did we kill and how many did they kill? You know, it's like it became a war of numbers. And that was kind of a famous thing about Robert oh. McNamara, right? He's always had yeah. graphs and tabulating digits and right. things like that. Right. And that was part of the problem, too, because, you know, we're trying to, you know, fight this war. And, and who are we, the key to this whole thing is, I remember thinking, who are we fighting? We're fighting the North Vietnamese. And the VC, the Viet Cong, right? But who were the VC? They were the South Vietnamese. So who were we fighting? I mean, we're, the Vietnamese are supposed to be on our side. <laughs> and, and then you find out it's just the cities, the cities that had the, the guy, the people that were supposed to be towards us. And of, of course, the... <laughs> They, you know, I, I don't want to say that I'm sure that there was a lot of good South Vietnamese fighters, but the ones we ran across were, you know, they had fires going. I mean, we, we set up our fields of fire. We're quiet. The guy smoked. He had his poncho. He smoked under the poncho. They're over there playing radios and with fires. I mean, mm -hmm. what you go, do they know something we don't know or what is going on here? I mean, you kind of do mention, like you said, that somebody had to be spying or something like that because it seemed like uh, the enemy was getting information. But also I was curious that you thought that a lot of the locals just wanted everything out. They were, You said they were like Stone Age farmers and fishermen. and I mean, it must have made a really curious impression upon you guys. Right. You know, they're just trying to eke out a living is what they were trying to do. They were just trying to make it through to another day, you know, get their farms, get their rice. Uh, the Viet Cong would come in and take their rice, uh, you know, and then threaten them if they had anything to do with us. And then we'd sweep through and they didn't want anything to do with us because they didn't want reprisals by the Viet Cong. If, if, if they did anything that made them look like they were supporting us, they would be killed. There would be no doubt about it. They would be so, killed. So they were just kind of stuck in the middle, like innocent civilians stuck in the middle. Their kids were getting that's, brutalized. Yep. That's what I tried to explain. And, and uh, you know, I tried to show that the, these people, they just wanted to be left alone. And, of course, we look like invaders. I mean, we really did look like the this big group of men coming through. And a, and a lot of the 18 and 19-year-old kids that were coming through the Marines at that time were some of them were given a choice. Do you want to go to jail or do you want to join the Marines and fight for our country? So you want to go to jail for two years or are you going to join the Marines for two years? What do you want to do? And that's what some of the judges did. And that's the kind of people we got. We got people who are like, you know, they didn't want to be there. They didn't want to be a Marine. Um, 
the first group that I went through, I noticed there was a shift as we, as the longer I was there, the 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 guys that started coming in, there there was a lot of great men that came in. Don't get me wrong, uh, but I noticed attitudes started changing, and of course the Martin Luther King had passed away, uh, was killed, and of course that changed a lot of uh, attitudes from some of the, uh, the the men who who just happened to feel that you know they didn't need to be there, that it wasn't their war. So, right. I, I, and you, I mean, you served with a lot of African Americans. I think you mentioned something like there's a race war brewing back in the United States at yeah, that time. But. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, we, I, you know, the thing is, once you're in Vietnam, you, you're a brother. And the brotherhood was really strong. Uh, if I didn't care what race you were, um, you, you depended on that person that was next to you and you, you really looked out for him and he looked out for you. You know, there was, it was like, there was no race really. Uh, towards the end of my tour, I noticed there was different attitudes changing, but for the most part, you know, if you were a Marine, you were a Marine and you were brothers and that's the way it is right now. Uh, we go to the third Marine division uh, association reunion every year and we're brothers. We're all brothers, and we hug each other. Uh, we love each other because we fought and we knew what we did for this country. And uh, it's a, it's a you know it was a, it was a crazy war. And, uh, right. and you were kind of there where it hadn't really soured as much in the American mind. Would you agree with that? Yeah, we weren't actually when we got there. It was you know, the same mindset because we're just nothing but in battle. I mean, we're not reading news. We're not getting, we're not hearing radio. Um, we're just fighting for month after month after month. It was, that's why a lot of these guys came back. And uh, it's uh, a lot of guys had trouble, trouble with, you know, uh, assimilating back in and drank and some took drugs. And um, then there was the, the group that joined the police force and wanted to be, you keep that adrenaline flowing because that that's like a high to keep that adrenaline going. Uh, I always look for the adrenaline rush myself when, I mean, I remember at one time I, I got a radio. Um, it was, a, you know, one of the radios and police calls, fire and everything. And I actually got the adrenaline rush from listening to police calls. I mean, it, you, you get that rush inside you. And it, I, it's, uh, I ended up becoming a, a trader at the Chicago Board of Trade in the uh, commodities, uh, wheat, corn, bean, meal, and oil. And uh, uh, that was an adrenaline rush. That whole, the whole thing, I was trading options. And you get in that pit and boy, the, you feel that adrenaline flowing. You know? Adrenaline, the time compresses and it That's becomes right. super intense. The yeah. thing is, it made me stronger. It really made me stronger to, to, you know, to go through what I went through and I come back home and I listen to people complaining about, you know, something, you know, their boss, their job, their, they lost their job or something, you know, to me, you know, it's like, all right, then just move on. Let's get going. Uh, you know, that's minor compared to what I went through. And, uh, my wife, the, st she, the stresses she, over time had to be just incredible for all you guys. Oh, just the fear and the deaths and the body bags. Right, right. 
and uh, you know, carrying your 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 guys to the helicopter, and uh, you know, just uh, you know, like the picture you see uh, on full automatic. That's exactly what we did. That's exactly the way we dressed. That's exactly the helicopter that we got into, um, and uh, it it does represent uh, exactly you know that moment in time. And uh, for 13 months, that's what we did. And, you know, the Marines, we didn't have really good, we didn't have good, um, our packs were just small little packs. The Army had the nice packs with pockets and all that other stuff. We didn't have any of that. We, we had the same food from the Korean War, from what I understand. Uh, you know, they gave us the sea rations from the Korean War. They had, you know, the Marines, did. they didn't have a lot of money. And uh, so, you know, we ended up with this horrible M16 that kept on jamming. And, uh, you know, they said, clean it, clean it. It'll, you know, and we cleaned it and it kept jamming no matter what. If you fired so many rounds through that, uh, it it just jammed. It was horrible. Uh, wow. I went through so many M16s. It was terrible. I think when you ended up the book, you were let off two weeks early because of it was your third Purple Heart. But you right. tried to give a gun back that was a it's actually kind of silly bureaucratic kind of stuff. They expected you to give back the same gun you had when you first started, right? <laughs> right. It was absurd. And, and and they were gonna make me pay for that gun. And I'm going, you know, I, I just exploded. I just couldn't believe that this guy was gonna make me pay for the M16. I even grabbed the M16 he had. If I'm paying for that one, then you're not getting this one. And uh I that was a bureaucratic craziness and some new guy who didn't know he didn't know he didn't never had experience what I went through and uh and unfortunately you know there was a lot of uh uh interactions between officers that doesn't normally exist in our in our military today i mean when you start questioning the people that are that are leading you because they're brand new coming in and they're making you do something that you know is wrong. You know, you, you have to tell them. And when you do, you know, if they want to overpower you with their, you know, because they're in command, well, they don't know what's going on. They're not listening to you. And when you're there, you're trying to explain it to them. And yeah, just, uh, there was a lot of, there was a lot of great leadership and there was bad leadership. And uh, those were the people that were relieved of command in the middle of battles, you know, after the battle is over, let's get rid of him. He's no good. Right. It seemed like there were constantly shifting uh, groups. You know, you just had a new mix every week or two, different leader, different guy, bad guy, guy goes to the brig. This is the good guy. Everybody in the, the uh, platoon wants this guy to run it. You guys yeah. have more experience than the new guys. I mean, it's really. And then you, right. And then you love him and you love this guy. And then he dies. He gets killed. And then you go, Oh my God! What's what am I going to do now? Who's who's coming next? I mean, they were just going through the, the leadership like crazy, and uh, that's um, part of the survival, right? I mean, what other kind of do you remember? I mean, it seems like that war was much more had a lot more kind of craziness to it, maybe than, than other cut and dried wars where you had boundaries and things. I mean, it uh, it it was the first televised war. And it was, you know, a lot of people got to see it on TV. And uh, that's what caused a lot of protesters coming out when they saw what was going on. 
but then, then their focus was on us. You know, we're the bad guys. And of course, uh, we when we did come home, we were spit at. I mean, you have no idea to go through what I went through and then have people yelling at you in an airport is because you've got your uniform on and you're, you're just come from, from hell. And, uh, you know, I remember when, uh, payback was, uh, we went on that book tour and I was telling the guy that I was sitting next to, I was telling him about, um, Vietnam and about the book and stuff. And when I got off the airplane, the lady behind me had caught up to me and she said, can I, can I talk to you? And I go, sure. I said, yeah, absolutely. She says, I, I, I just want to let you know, I was one of the protesters that was spitting at you and was yelling at you and calling you names. And I want your forgiveness. I, I want, I want, I want you to please forgive me for what I did. And I realized that it wasn't only the the guys that came home that became victims of this the the victims were the people who then realized that they were going after the wrong person the people that you know felt guilty because they didn't go over to vietnam because they felt they needed to they wished they had been i wish i could have been there for you guys and you know it's like i i tell them all i go you know, it, it's a good thing you didn't have to go through what I went through. I, you'd be messed up today. You'd be all screwed up because all these guys that came back from all these combat situations, just like what's going on uh, from our Afghan and, and uh, Iraq, that's, I mean, there's so many guys that come back with this. And that's another reason why I wrote the book was to make sure that, you know, to let these guys know that came back that, you know, this stuff is still inside me. And and I'm the one that, that's opening up and expressing this stuff. And I want them to do the same thing. So that's another reason why I wrote the book, because I know these guys, they're, they're going through the same thing I went through, but in a different sense. Maybe, you know, they're, they're in the desert and uh, they're in this horrible situation. And some of these poor guys do things, you know, you're, you're young and you do things that you don't, that you're really not proud of. And, uh, right. and so, you said that this was a cathartic experience for you. So it kind of got that kind of bad, some of those bad memories out. Maybe that's a, would you suggest that as an option for some of these other people going through PTSD or? Oh, yeah. oh absolutely. Absolutely, Bill. You know, um, to write it down, and, and even if you don't want anybody to read it, but just put it down on paper and to, to get it out of you. I know when I was through with my story, there's a story about a baby in there, and and I cried. I mean, I cried for days over that one story. Um, still, to this day, brings up, you know, emotion. And uh, so getting that out, that stuff that sits inside you, in your mind, it's, it's hidden inside there. And unless you get that stuff out, Unless you can bring it out in the open, it's just going to fester, and and you'll be like me. I'm 74 years old. I I'm still thinking about that war like it was yesterday, and and these guys need to know that, you know, sometimes you just need to talk it out. You need to get, you need to get, you need to get that stuff out of you, and even if you just write it and throw it up and tear it up and throw it away. Maybe that's what you need to do. Or maybe you need to write a book like I did and get it out. 
Yeah, I mean, there's really important stories. I think this is a very important story for people to know, really firsthand account and how harrowing these wars were, war can be. It's, uh, I think you really conveyed that ex expertly in this book is about how, how life can be short. And even the baby sequence, do you talk about this baby? Like there's a human element there too. Even in this war, there's, uh, you know, really terrible, you know, unfortunate things. I don't know. It's kind of a mystery. And that was actually not uncommon for a lot of the Vietnam, a lot of orphans and things like that. Kids who may have been the sons of some of these military guys. Did you ever find out whatever happened to that baby or was it just go to an orphanage? You're not the only one that asked me that. A lot of people asked me. And um, uh, no, and when I came back, I was so like full of PTSD and I, I still had to serve uh, another uh, two and a half more years in in the Marines, and uh, there's this there, there's this rule that if you were wounded three times, they can't send you back to a combat zone for uh, two years. So I ended up in Cuba, and uh, you know, when I joined the Marines, I made under a hundred dollars a month. I mean, it's hard to believe that a person could could survive on that. A hundred dollars a month—it's nothing. And, and it was nothing back then. Uh, but, you know, you, you find a way to survive and you make it through. And uh, um, but I look at the whole experience as um, that it, it made me strong. It made me who I am. It made me be a good man. And uh, I think it helped. I think it helped a lot. All right. And where's the best place that people can obtain this book? Amazon right now has it. Um, I know that um, the hardcover is coming out in about uh, three weeks, and then we're going to go ebook. And after after all that, then we're uh, we're going to do an audio. I want to. There's a lot of vets that uh, have problems with their sight, and uh, I'd like them to be able to experience the book also. So. I'm going to have to find a studio to sit down and actually do this audio book. And, uh, you know, I'm going to do it and uh, get it out there for everybody. I think it's something that all, everybody should read. I really do. I agree. I mean, I think it's really important to, to see how you've got this uh, experience set in time, you know, this 13 months right there and how what a harrowing experience it was to be in Vietnam. But uh, more, pe more and more people are listening to their books than reading them now. It's yeah, much more right. convenient, so it's very prudent to get out an audiobook. And you also have a website, correct? It's williambtaylor.com. Yeah, that's William V as in Vincent Taylor.com. And uh, if anybody wants to contact me, uh, there's a place in there that uh, if you go to my website, you can uh, text, you know, you can send me a message and, uh, and I'll get back to you. I didn't want to put my uh, email out there for everybody because you never know who's going to. Uh, who's going to try to communicate with you. But if someone is sincere and really wants to talk, especially uh, right now, I'm getting uh, maybe between one and three messages a day from people either uh, via text, email. Um, some people call, some people found my address and have written me. And it's very touching the things that I've heard. I mean, I haven't had one person say anything like this is like, bad or anything else. I know that some of the some of the Marines who've read this, some of the combat veterans who've actually read this, uh, it's it's touched their lives. 
uh, profoundly, and it's it's made a difference. And I, and that's what the book is supposed to do is is uh, to, to reach out to these different people, these different soldiers that fought for our country, and uh, that uh, they can't talk about their experience, and their families even say they can't talk about it. But if people want to know what's what that what that what their their family member went through, just buy the book. Read the book, and you'll understand why they can't talk about it. Right? Yeah, really t- terrible experiences. Again, the title of the book is "On Full Automatic: Surviving 13 Months in Vietnam." Just published, July 9th, 2021. The author again is William V. Taylor Jr. So, William, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here. Great. Thanks. All right, so that's the end of that. So, hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.